Well, thank you, Jonathan. A few better images than baptism to begin three weeks in Psalm 23 together. So I presume you've already opened up the text, though you may be so familiar that you don't even need to, uh, to think that you would open it. But I'd ask that you would this morning. Psalm 23. David writes Psalm 23 is one who knows the plight of sheep. He spent much of his early years, of course, as a shepherd. We see in 1 Samuel 17, when David, seeing the greatness of Yahweh, the Lord his God, being mocked by Goliath, and he responds in great confidence because of the shepherd, his confidence of who the Lord is. The Lord is worthy of defense and his praise. David responds in this way to Saul's accusation that he's but a youth, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. David knows what it is to be and want. He knows of the needs as a good shepherd who loves his sheep, who tended to his father's sheep. He cared for them and he took pleasure in nourishing them. He took pleasure in meeting their every needs. He is a good shepherd. He also knows the vulnerability of the sheep even more than the sheep do. That's the calling of a shepherd. In our text this morning, my prayer for us as we look at these first three verses together is that our eyes, regardless of our context, would would fix upon the shepherd. That he's not just a shepherd, but he is a shepherd who loves his sheep. That the love of the shepherd upon the sheep, it echoes through all the language, a matter of fact, to how the people of God are referred to as the beloved of God. This morning, whatever you're feeling as you came in this place, whether you feel loved or whatever burden that you're carrying or stress that is bothering you, the reality is that the Lord loves His sheep. We get a picture of just how He loves His sheep this morning. So let's look first in verses 1 through 2 as we discuss the reality that the Lord our God is the good shepherd who loves His sheep. We see in verse 1 and 2, That our shepherd so loves us that our spiritual nourishment is his delight. He loves us and he loves giving us good food. He loves nourishing us. It's part of his pleasure. Now, Sarah and I, we have chickens, but we do not. We love the eggs from the chickens, but we do not love any part of tending to the chickens. I'd be full confession here. We don't love cleaning up after them. We don't love going out and giving them food again once a week. We give them food more than once a week, but we fill up the feeder once a week. I want to be clear. No accusations here. But it's not our love to go and attend to them. But the shepherd so loves his sheep. And Scripture itself will present for us that the teachers that will come to Israel, the Scriptures will refer to the teachers of Israel as their shepherds. That they're bad shepherds. They're like hired hands. They don't act like David did for his father's sheep. David was willing to pursue the predator and to strike it to protect the sheep that he loves that are under his namesake. But many of the teachers of Israel at that time, and the Pharisees in particular, when Jesus comes, when the Son takes on flesh, Jesus calls them hired hands, that they are not good shepherds in contrast to Jesus, who's the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. The contrast of sheep and shepherd, the shepherd in his heart is a nourisher. He's a feeder And every one of us in this room has feeders, has a shepherd that we tend to. We may pose to be our own shepherd, 
But the idea when David says from the very beginning, I shall not want. Verse 1, I shall not want. What a strange saying. That's something we don't hear very often in our lives today. I shall not want. Now, now maybe we hear that with apathy, like I don't care. Whatever you want to do, I don't care. But that's not what David's saying. He says, I shall not want, in the sense that we do after a Thanksgiving feast. And grandma comes and offers you more. And what do you say? I have no want. I I can't eat anything else. I'm so nourished and full, I will pop. Please do not give me any more food. If you're curious, there's 207 days left till Thanksgiving when you can experience that. But I shall not want is David's statement as a sheep of the great shepherd, the Lord his God. Now, in our context today, we we live in a a context of want, which is strange because we live in a context where where our needs and our wants can be met in, in just a second. But if we're honest and we look around at the world, it is marked by people that have ever increasing wants, insatiable wants. If you're hungry, there's fast food on every corner. Not so much healthy nourishment, but it's countless calories on the less. Tired, grab a cup of coffee. Get a cup of coffee in our foyer. Enjoy yourself. If you're bored, download a social media app. Join a club. Get involved. There's an app for that. Get a quick shot of dopamine or serotonin with a little bit of technology buzz. If you're lonely, there's a, there's a bar. There's constant marketing up North Street to be able to entertain you or perhaps to numb you best. How is it that in so many advances of technology, so many advances in education, so many advances of medicine, so many advances in in, in social issues, that in the reality, the wants are ever increasing, never quite satisfied, never progressing to satisfaction, but ever in a state of want. So it's in contrast to this as we look around at the world and this never-ending want that David says, just as he would have over 2,500 years ago, I shall not want. How can he say such a thing? Well, it's because obviously I started that after the first couple verses. Why can he say, I shall not want? Because that sounds like a great motivational leadership podcast, I shall not want. That sounds like a great self-help book. I shall not want. Just gut it through and keep going. I shall not want. But it only makes sense in light of the first verses before that, the first words. The Lord is my shepherd. It is only our designer and sustainer, Yahweh, the Lord our God, the one that designed us and sustains us in whom we can actually have rest. We'll never know, I don't think, the full depth of how COVID-19 has impacted our culture. But... Numbers are starting to come out. In October 2019 and September 2020, overdose deaths increased by 30%. The exact increase in in substance abuse and prescription drug abuse and opioid addictions, we'll never quite know how they've been strained. In a world of excess today and advances, still the statement, I shall not want, rings as loud as it ever has in human history. Why can David say this? Because he knows the shepherd. Not only does he know the shepherd, but he knows that the shepherd loves him and takes pleasure in nourishing him. That's the greatness of our God. 
Now, in Ezekiel 34, you can write down that reference. We're not going to read it together, but Ezekiel 34, God's accusation towards the teachers of Israel is that they are bad shepherds. They're negligent teachers. Their, their job is to steward the Word of God, to teach the people the Word of God. And yet, they don't do so. God's charge against them is that they're not nourishing the people of God. They're negligent of the Word of God before the people of God. But when we look at Scripture and we look at David's song, we note that he has a desire to feast upon the Word of the Lord, that he rests in the promises of God. And it's in this that he is nourished and replenished. Now, there's this kind of cycle that goes in many of the Psalms, in many of David's Psalms. And we see it here as well, that there is a context of feeding, following, resting, and enjoying. Feeding, following, resting, and enjoying. He feeds on the nourishment-rich food that the Lord provides for him, that the Lord loves to provide for him. He feeds, and then he's transformed. He follows in the way of the Lord. His desires are increasingly shaped and changed. And he finds rest and enjoyment. You see, it's uniquely the Christian, it's uniquely the believer that is resting in the Good Shepherd that we can actually understand and enjoy pleasure. For we can enjoy pleasure in the things that God has created for us, resting in the goodness of His gifts, that we don't have an improper view in which we make the gift our God. The nourishment that the Lord provides is not David's God. It's a mark of God's love for him and feeding him this good food for which he can say, I shall not want. The Lord leads him to where? To green pastures. Green pastures, nourishing lusts, lush pastures to be able to feast in and to rest in. And so what's the pace by which the shepherd leads the sheep into the green pastures when it's time to go and to rest? He's able to not eat quickly and then run. But because the shepherd is good and loves him, he leads them to the green pastures, these lush fields. And he lets them rest. Rest and eat. As we grow in a knowledge of God, we grow in an increasing longing for his word. We want to understand the God's word in its context. We want to know the Lord in his word. We want to rest in him. We want to share God's word with others. It transforms our minds. So in a similar way that if we begin to eat less fast food and instead we begin to intentionally eat more nutrients, rich food. I promise that Sarah didn't write this sermon for me, but she's a dietitian. Okay, uh, that makes sense. But we know this. The better nutrients we get in our life, the more it begins to come through how we feel and how we behave in our skin and our attitude. But there's a transition, isn't there? There's often a transition, almost like a food withdrawals of, ah, you know, when we start eating from the bad stuff to the, or, or the less nutrient-rich food to the more nutrient-rich food. But by eating the good food, what begins to happen? People begin to look and say, ah, well, you're looking pretty good. And a lot of it is a component of, of choosing to, to eat well, to, to, to eat nourishing foods. And that's what it is in the life of the sheep. David is able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me the good food to eat. He loves for me to eat the good food. And the good food is coming out of him. It's giving him energy and it's changing in the way that he's thinking. And that's what God's Word does for us. So as one 
abides in Christ, as one comes to newness of life, if they're eating the good word, their minds are being renewed by the word of God. They're putting off the things of, of old and they're putting on the new and their minds being renewed, their life begins to transform. They become a more godly spouse, a more godly persevering parent or neighbor or friend or boss or worker is student. It shapes our lives. It comes out of us. It changes our habits. It changes our desires and our goals because we long for the nourishment that our shepherd gives to us. That's the kindness of our God, that our loving shepherd is so good that the good food is not scarce. Now we can go to the green grass, but does that mean we have to eat it? No. But if we choose not to eat it, what's going to happen? We're not getting the nutrients we need. It's going to come out of us. It's going to be noticeable. But we can eat at different paces. We can feast and we can eat slower. And all of us in the room right now, we all learn at different paces and we're all at different spots in our appetites. But as the people of God love each other, we continue to present good food, nourishing food. And when we see another sheep that's in a mood to not want to eat anymore, we notice that's not normal. That's not like them. And we come to them and we care for them. We meet them where they are. So our shepherd, he loves to give us good nutrients-rich food. We looked at continuing on in verse 2 to 3. It leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Our shepherd so loves us that he eagerly refreshes our being. Second, our shepherd so loves us that he eagerly refreshes our being. David's shepherd nourishes and refreshes him. The net translation makes this pretty clear for us and how it brings it out. He leads me to refreshing waters. He restores my strength. So when we think of still waters, we think of that's a good place to be able for a sheep to go and to drink. But shepherds would also use this to be able to wash any junk that had got on the sheep. Or if there was a wound that the sheep had to be able to tend to their medical needs. Dr. James Patch describes the ancient Near East he says that the flocks were watered at least once a day, usually around noon. This was not simply to find water to drink, but for cleaning up any soiled spots and tending to newer wounds. Refreshment. What's one of the most refreshing moments you've ever had in your life? Would you think about this for a moment? I'm going to ask you to come up here for a moment and share about the most refreshing moment you've had recently. Was it good news that you heard? Was it a burden that you had that was met? When did you find yourself hearing news that refreshed your soul? Refreshed in such a way that it was like a, a complete recharge or a, a completely restorative component. When Israel on these psalms of ascent, as Israel would ascend up elevation-wise to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms of ascent, Psalm 120 to 134. And in Psalm 126, right toward the middle, one of the cries of prayer and joy that Israel would sing was that when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, Jerusalem, His people, the Lord will restore Jerusalem and He will make all things right. But as the people of God today, with those who know the Lord, we know the shepherd, we can say, it's our calling to say in a world filled with never-ending unmet wants and, and distorted wants, that we're able to say, the Lord has actually restored my soul. And it's not that, that little book 
It's not that little podcast that's going to get your whole life on track. It's the shepherd. A sheep will look at times almost anywhere but the Lord, the shepherd, to nourish them and to cleanse them and to give them refreshing. Won't we? Well, I could say them, but won't we so often? We make our lives so busy, we don't practice any sense of rest sometimes, just one day a week. And then we find ourselves thinking, I just need to get more efficient, so I'll start my day earlier. And I'll be more disciplined. And yet, we're exhausted. The Good Shepherd, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Two homework assignments today. Two homework assignments. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Psalm 51, Psalm 32. Take time to read those two psalms today. Because we gain in them a greater insight to what is in David's mind, or at least would certainly apply there as a little hyperlink to see what he's talking about, of how the Lord had restored him. And Psalm 51 is a man who had committed murder and adultery, and yet the kindness and the refreshing reality of the Lord. In Psalm 32, we see the refreshing component of the Lord who does not count the sins against one and washes them clean. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, the Lord restores, and that restoration is a restoration that brings fellowship with the people of God. Have you ever known somebody, it could be of course a child, it could be a friend, somebody, a co-worker, somebody that you've spent enough time with that you can note when they're withdrawn from you? And you know it wasn't something between the two of you, but you knew if they had something going on, their behavior was different toward you. It was a mark that something was happening in their life. Because you loved them, you desired to know it, but you were able to perceive it. There's something going on. Are you okay? It's a great question to be able to ask. Are you okay? Like, are you, are you actually okay? Why do we say that? Because we know intuitively if something is bothering someone, it impacts the horizontal relationships. And the opposite is true. When we see somebody refreshed and abiding in the way of the Lord and trusting Him and following Him, what does it do to the rest of the people of God? It makes us want to run up and hug them and to wrap around them and to share their burdens and to grieve with them and to celebrate with them. It binds us together. Health begets health. Refreshed ones bring forth refreshed ones. We long to be with them. But as a loving body, when we see that somebody is being withdrawn or distant, what do we want to do? We want to go to them and tend to their needs. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. We perceive these things and we're called and commissioned to care for each other. And you can't help yourself. Isn't that good? How the Lord tends to His flock today by His Spirit-filled people. Recognizing distance and pursuing. Cleaning beside still waters. Nurturing each other for refreshment to abide in the way and the Word of the Lord. You know, this Tuesday, one of the, my favorite things about the men's lunch is that we're able to hear testimonies of how God has worked in different men's lives, and many of which you could never guess how the Lord has grown them and shaped them. I so appreciate Zach making sure these things happen. So this Tuesday at noon, right over in Henderson Hall, we're going to hear a testimony of another brother who's been refreshed in the Lord, how the Lord has not only saved him, but is refreshing him and working in his life. The Lord our God is the Good Shepherd who loves His sheep. 
He so loves us that our spiritual nourishment is His delight and He eagerly refreshes our being. As we finish off verse 3 this morning, we note that our shepherd so loves us that He leads us for and as His own namesake. The shepherd is not a consultant for the sheep. Right? He's not soliciting ideas and then, oh, that's, that's good. You've already paid me, so you can go and insist my advice. He is a good shepherd. The sheep are the shepherd's prerogative. What happens in the life of the sheep matters to the shepherd. He is not a hired hand. So when the Messiah comes on the scene, Jesus is able to say, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 that all that the Father has given to him, he will lose how many? How many will he lose? None. You are his prerogative. You are his namesake. And what paths will he lead us? What does David say? He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why does the Lord lead us in paths of righteousness? Because He is righteous. <laughs> it's not a trick question. He's righteous. It's the only way that He can lead us. And in James chapter 1, we won't look it up, but again, just another verse to write down. It's finals week for everybody. James chapter 1. In James 1, He, he rebukes the congregation, the listener, and He reminds them that the Lord tempts no one. The Lord, in His kindness, as we saw in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, He does allow us to enter into necessary trials. The Holy Spirit who descended and led Jesus Christ after His baptism, we see this commissioning of His ministry. Where does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? Into the wilderness. Satan will come and tempt Him, but the Spirit did not tempt Christ. The Lord will lead us into, as we'll see next week, into valleys of dark seasons. But He will never leave us and He will never forsake us, for we are His namesake. And the paths that He leads us on are always righteous paths. Paths that are bringing Him glory in our good. They're not always things that we would sign up for, correct? But He's the Good Shepherd. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. A Proverbs 11.15 rest in the shadow of the more popular Proverbs 11:14. Uh, today, our senior will be recognizing a number of our college seniors and, and high school seniors. And those seniors, as they've considered the ways of their next step, whether they're entering into the career or uh, career field or military or university, they've likely been told or at least naturally practice Proverbs 11:14. Where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. They've asked questions. They've sought knowledge and wisdom. And yet for our text today, the verse right after that, because 15 comes after 14, right here. In Proverbs eleven fifteen, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. Let me read it again. Proverbs are kind of the way. You've got to read Proverbs sometimes a multitude, multitude of times before they start to click. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. I want you to imagine that right after this service, somebody approaches you after you get home. They knock on your door. And there they have a contract. 
and they ask you to co-sign a loan for them. You've never met this person. There's no limit to the loan. And they say, sir, ma'am, will you please sign this right here? There's nobody in this room that would sign that. Why would you not sign it? Because if you sign that legally, and even your reputation would be on the line. You don't know what that person could do. And their responsibilities, their debt becomes what? Your debt. The Proverbs 11.15 tells us, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. Understand what you're getting into. Be, be slow to shake hands and enter into an agreement unless you've counted the cost and you understand the person that you're entering into an agreement with. And it's this understanding that David gives us these words. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. See, that's good news. Wouldn't be good news for you to sign it, but for the one that you would sign for, they'd probably be pretty excited. This is good news. I can't pay for this, but I've got a co-signer. It's on their name and their reputation. This is good news. The sheep's confidence comes because of the shepherd who loves them. He is being led by the Lord for the Lord's namesake. Which means if the Lord neglected His sheep, whose reputation is at stake? The Lord. And He is a good shepherd who loves us and lays down His life for the sheep. He doesn't neglect the sheep. He cares for the sheep. That's how good our God is. For His namesake should be the greatest words that we could ever say at any given point. Lord, I know You're faithful. My heart is all over the place. But I know I'm Yours for Your namesake. That's good news. That we are a people for His own possession. And so when believers are baptized here, there's a promise that we also see symbolized in baptism and that we explicitly ask them to, to charge to until we see Him face to face. It's a reminder that the Lord will not drop the ball. We will reach completion. When we take the Lord's Supper, what are we reminded of? We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, which means what? We'll be with Him when He comes. We'll be caught up. We'll meet Him. We'll be with Him forever. He'll never leave us and never forsake us, as Hebrews says. That's good news of the shepherd for His namesake. Your sin believer has been forgiven for His namesake. He loves you. If you don't know the shepherd, if you don't know Christ, give your life to Him. He is the good shepherd who loves to nourish us. I want to be clear, this is not going to be dermatology advice. When I was a boy, I was a 6th grade boy, 11 or 12 years old, and I had these, it's kind of a gross story to be honest, but I had these warts on my hand, all down my hand right here. I mean, I don't even like to talk. I mean, it was uh, so embarrassing. I remember being in class, and I would always keep this hand down so nobody could ever see it. I remember talking to people. Fortunately, people even then shook hands with the right side, but if somebody came up for a high five, I'd do this move. I was so self-conscious. I would intentionally go and take Band-Aids and put, cover my hand with Band-Aids like I got a cut. 
so self-conscious for months. When I was sitting at the dinner table, my dad sat right here and I sat right here. And he saw my anxiety with my warts. And I'm old enough at that point to be like, okay, I kind of understand some basics of science. And he says, Brent, I want to buy your warts from you. Okay, I don't think it works that way. I don't think that's what they're going to do at the dermatology office. But he said, I want to buy the warts from you. And he pulled out a penny. Well, number one, they're probably worth more than that, right? But he pulls out a penny, he puts it on the table, and he says, I want to buy those warts from you. Will you let me buy them? And I was humbled enough because my hand, I mean, I would eat with my hand under the table. I was so self-conscious about it. He said, I want to buy those warts from you. Will you let me buy them? I said, yes. So he took the penny and he wiped them across the warts and he put it in my hand and he closed my hand like this. He said, these are my warts now. I have bought them. Don't worry about it because you don't have a right to because they're my warts. I have purchased them. And I opened my hand, they were gone. No, they were still there. I've been crazy. The Lord could do that, certainly, but He didn't do that here. But I took the penny out and I kept the penny and the exchange was done and the warts were still there the next day. I went to school, but I stopped worrying about it because my dad had purchased them from me. They were for his namesake now. My ugly marks were now his. And I'm not joking with you, in a week they were all gone. Every one of them were gone. The Lord is the good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Our confidence as sheep comes not because of us or because of our temporary circumstances or because life is fitting all the way that we desire, but because he is our good shepherd who loves us. He will never leave us and never forsake us. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so we gather every week to sing for joy. We invest our lives into each other because we are the, 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 the sheep of the shepherd who cares for us. We sing his praises and we're reminded, no matter the transactions of this world, that we are at peace in the care of the good shepherd. He is our shepherd. And we shall not want. On our next steps this morning, I want to ask you a very simple question. Will you entrust your life to our loving shepherd? If you've never given your life to Christ, would you profess faith in Him today and commit to be discipled? To be a disciple, to be a follower of a learner of, of Jesus Christ. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, and you look and you say, and you look to God, you acknowledge who God is. You say, God, I know that You're good and holy and just and righteous. And I know that I am a sinner and I come short of Your glory and I sin against You. And I cannot clean my life up. It's not possible. I confess my sin to You. I acknowledge it and I turn from it. I repent from it. And I be, I believe that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. That He's the promised Messiah. That He's the Lamb of God who came to take away my sins. I believe He died on the cross and rose again. I commit my life to follow Him. I confess Him as my Savior and Lord today. Lead my life. Be my shepherd. If you've given your life to Christ today, come after the service and share that with us here up front.
Because we're charged as a church family to disciple you to where you're longing in life as you join us in making disciples and followers of Jesus until you should see Him face to face. So entrust your life to Jesus. Secondly, commit yourself to the local flock and care for the under-shepherds. We saw that Peter, God charged Peter, he said, feed my sheep. In 1 Peter 5, what did Peter charge the elders to do? Feed the flock of God. Commit yourself to a local church in which you're being nourished with the Word of God, but also with the other sheep, you're formally committing yourself to care for them and to have them care and be a part of your life. It's an open door to your life and their life as a local flock of God. And today at 2 o'clock, very practical application, if you've never considered membership, that's very simply, what does Grace Bible Church, what do we as a congregation believe? What are the commitments we make one to another? What's our philosophy of ministry and our commitments that we make as believers one to another? That's going to be today at 2 o'clock in Henderson Hall. If you've never been a part of that, it's a great place to be able to come and, and understand more about who we are as a church family. So commit yourself to your local flock. And if you're a believer who's been walking with the Lord for some time, look and say, have I committed to making disciples with this local body? Renew yourself in that commitment today. Number three, how does the following realization bring peace to trust His Word? How does this text, these first three verses, bring you peace to trust His Word in your coming decisions? As one of Christ's sheep, the Lord cannot lose, nor can He get lost as He leads me. How does that anchor your confidence in the word of the shepherd and all the noise of this world? Is he worthy of our life? Is the shepherd worthy of our trust? As believers in Christ, we have the joy of together of saying he's worthy of our song. Would you stand with me, church family, as we sing to our good shepherd?